This is First, Last, Best, Worst. The only podcast recorded on a Tascam 4-track cassette tape. We explore the craft of songwriting with our guests as they perform the first, last, best, and worst songs they've ever written. I'm your host, Carl Banks. I'm Taylor Rogers. And I'm Paul Blackwell. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey guys, how's it going? Ah, wonderful. How are you doing, Taylor? I'm doing well. Um, we've got a great guest here uh, this evening. We've got uh, Mrs. Smith. It is so wonderful to be here. Hello, fellas. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. You made the trip over from to historic Bushwick. Well, I wish you wouldn't mention. I'm going to ask that that part of the tape be deleted. That studio is an undisclosed location. I really try not to okay. have people know that I'm doing work there and, and living there. And I also don't want to impact the neighborhood right. in a disproportionate way. That's but, very responsible of you. Thank you. I'm mostly based on the Upper East Side. Oh, okay. um, that's where I mostly live, but I kind of leapfrog. I've got pied de tears sort of scattered. <laughs> you know, I kind of leapfrog over to the West Village, go into a, a sitting room and scream for 20 minutes before going back out into the city and making my way, you know, to downtown Brooklyn, where I have a lovely little, again, I go out onto a high balcony and scream, and then I get to which everyone knows about now. Miss Smith, we're so excited that you're here, and we'll ask you to play uh, your first song. Can you set it up for us a little bit? Yes, this is a... Um, a performance poem, I suppose you could call it, with acoustic accompaniment, um, called I'm Thinking of Carlisle. 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 Chasing the chipmunks. This was when we lived on a farm. Before Mama died. Yes, we lived on a farm. We lived on a farm. This is when Daddy was happy. <laughs> he would come home from work and Carlisle would be there to greet him. Well, hello, Carlisle, Daddy would say. This is when he could muster a smile. This was before he drank too much, tried to marry a Shetland pony and had to be committed. Before all my marriages, before all my divorces, before all my mansions, gilded cages, velvet lined with only one friend. Get a load of this, Bushwick. You'll love it. We had a border on that old farm. Yes, we did. A beautiful bisexual dancer. 
This is way back when people really weren't even bisexual. And she used to dance in the fields at night. Her name was Lydia. And she'd spin around and around with the fireflies swirling about. She was as free as the breeze itself. You know who was dancing alongside her with the fireflies? Carlisle is a dancer. That was lovely, Mrs. Smith. That was great. Um, my first question is, this is the first song you wrote. Um, how do you approach this sort of um, song poem format? Um, well, I had, I had gone on a kind of reckoning, a soul reckoning, back to the farm where I had grown up um, on upstate New York. I, had, I, I went there with a, a, a kind of a, a, a little you know, pay what you can sound engineer. He was just a, he was a kid that I found on Craigslist. And all he had was a laptop with a little speaker and a, a copy of GarageBand. This is all true. And I said, uh, this is, this is, you know, a pretty long trip. We're going to drive up there. The driver will take us there and back. It's going to be about a $10,000 taxi ride. <laughs> <laughs> he said, that's fine. And, and, and we got up there and I, all I had was an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And we went into the old barn where, you know, mother would often be screaming, where father would often be shattering objects. And all those ghosts were there. And of course, where Carlisle was as well as a kitten. And I tuned the guitar one string differently. To, uh, to this day, I can't remember how I tuned it. I, I have no idea how to play that guitar part, that acoustic part. I said, record, because I think something's going to come out. And those mysterious chords, and I, I played it through a few times. I, got, I mastered it, and then he recorded it. And you can hear the bugs in the background. You can hear the night crickets if you mm -hmm. listen closely to that track. And it was just recorded. And then later, I turned it into a performance piece mm. with, the, with the, the, the speaking over it, and that it's about Carlisle and... Carlisle as a curative mm -hmm. for this childhood I lived through barely. So this is a auto autobiographical piece. Totally, one hundred percent true. And Absolutely true. Could you explain who Carlisle is? Oh yes, I'm so sorry. Catching up, all the kittens at home. Uh, hello, <laughs> my name is Mrs. Smith, <laughs> and um, Carlisle is my cat. He uh, is my best friend, who happens to be a being that is a cat. Mm -hmm. And he is also missing two and a half years last Tuesday. I'm sorry to hear. It's all right. He's safe but not flourishing, which is very difficult for me to manage. It would almost be better if he was kind of in the back of a van, you know, because I could at least say to people, it's urgent, it's urgent. But they're just like, Mrs. Smith, 
you keep telling us he's safe but not flourishing. What does that mean? Is he just chilling? And yes, that's what it means. (laughs) So it's hard to motivate people to look for him. When we were friends, we had so many misadventures over the years. And I was married so many times to so many horrible men. And whenever, you know, I mean, I was once married to a Viscount. He kept me locked in a tower for two (laughs) years. And, you know, Carlisle would be out pawing at the the stone door. And I'd say, get me out of here, kid. There's got to be keys out there. And and there were, but they were so heavy. But Um, at least he would meow for me outside mm -hmm. of the door. Some sort of connection. Yeah. Yeah, Or we would go hot air balloon riding. Mm -hmm. We had a a vaudeville routine at one point. We went off to Hollywood and tried (laughs) to get famous. I mean, we've been through so many misadventures. And and now I've, I've become this musician guitar hero. And he's not here to... To paw along at my strings, it's it's really quite not cool, I have to say. In the song, you say he's a dancer. Is the, uh, he is. What do, what doesn't he do? <laughs> he's a Chinese checker, international master. Um, he is a hot air balloon pilot. I've also seen him co-pilot a jet. I mean, I think he could probably run a space shuttle if they if he just got in the cockpit and they let him have a go at it. Um, <laughs> and he is, yes, he is um, a dancer. Mm-hmm. And so he can stand up on his hind legs, almost like a human being, and do, um, it looks, a lot of times it looks like Merce Cunningham movements. You know, it's kind of like walking and pivoting and kind of gestural. It's more avant-garde movement, I would say. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that he could tap dance if he wanted to. <laughs> but similar, similar to the bisexual dancer in the, in the song as well? Lydia, bi- Lydia, Lydia was a bisexual dancer and she was a, f- um, I believe she was a jazz dancer. I believe she had been a rockette. Um, and I believe that ultimately her, her body kind of disintegrated to the point where she could only manage modern dance. Mm. So she and Carlisle would kind of like fold on top of each other and roll around and paw at the air and at the fireflies. And it was so kind of scary, but interesting. Yeah, I love art that's a little bit Sort of puts you a little on edge, like I don't, like I don't know. Don't, wow, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's what avant-garde uh, kind of is, right? You don't know where it's going, or yes. And there's music, and I don't, I don't know that I set out to make music of this t- sort, but there's music that you kind of like. Let's put this on, you know. Let's let's go to the beach, you know. Let's um let's have a barbecue with our friends, and you can put you can put that music on in the background. And then there's music that just sort of asks. A little more, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking of, you know, for instance, Bjork maybe, mm-hmm. or um, someone who, who I've come to admire a great deal is a guitar player named Steve Vai, you know, it, or Frank Zappa. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, it's an art object. It's a, it's performance music is what I call it. It's performance art music. More active listening. You know what I mean, yeah. don't you? I, mm-hmm. Maybe you can think of other examples, you know, mm-hmm. um, Mr. Bungle, I think is like that. Yeah. You know, and so I, uh, yeah. So did you set out to make that type of music? I mean, is that what you're what you're thinking of when you're um, writing music? Or are you a, just letting inspiration come? A lot of time what I'm thinking of is the live shows. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I'm thinking, this is going to be a performance. How can I have it tell story? How can I have it shift mood? How can I have it be cinematic? How could there be video projections going on? That's a lot of how I start to write. A lot of times... The the impetus for a song is is just a booking. Mm-hmm. There's a gig, and I've got to fill the time. <laughs> I'm being totally honest. I mean, that's how I wrote um, a song called Cat Jam and a song called The Bob Ross Technique. I had just been booked, and I had to come up with something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times, uh, a lot of times, art is created just sort of 
on spec or just due to time constraints and stuff like that. Even even great works of art, sometimes you hear the story behind it and it was like, oh, well, they were just fulfilling a contract or they only had a couple weeks. I think all of Rubber Soul was written in like two weeks or something in between oh, really? like a tour, you know? Um, so the so there's like a big visual element to, you know, the uh, uh, to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how did you, how did you learn how to play the guitar? Oh well, yes, <clears throat> that's a horrible story. Um, <laughs> I will I'll get into it just briefly. It's not trauma. If it's trauma, it is trauma. It is trauma, and it lives in my bones to this very moment. I'm going to be honest about that. So I, in what it comes down to is, you know, in the '90s, I was kidnapped and held for ransom by a Norwegian death metal band and suffered the Stockholm Syndrome. And if that sounds like a lot of Scandinavia for one life anecdote, welcome to my life! (laughs) But I was held in a closet in a basement in a rehearsal space at the edge of a frozen forest in Norway Mm -hmm. for three months. And the only thing in that closet was a guitar. And on the other end, my kidnappers rehearsing their set list and with evil plans... And all of our pleas, our cries for, you know, I was married to a marshmallow magnate at the time. He was loaded. He was having a moment. He invented, I don't know if you remember in the 90s when they had that kind of extreme candy trend, you know, kind of like when sweet tower warheads, warheads kind yeah. of punishing the mouths of children worldwide. <laughs> he invented that with something called um, super sour color changing harsh mellows. <laughs> And they were just, and the ad was just this kid popping into his mouth. And then it's like, his mouth is like purple and he's screaming, mommy, it hurts, you know? <laughs> and, and they, the kids went wild for this. He was uh-huh. rolling in the dough. They wanted $5 million mm. for my freedom. And he kept Ransom. saying, you know, we don't have it. And, or my wife has architected this kidnapping herself. That's what he started. That's what he said that on the Today Show. And that's oh, when no. I just snapped and joined the band. Under an alter ego that I had constructed um, oh. through an archetype called Freya, a figure from Norwegian fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And I merged with Freya on the collective unconscious level. Yeah. Let, I unpacked all of this later with a Jungian analyst. It was fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, he made a big sandbox and I just made a mess in it. And he... Um, I merged with Freya, came out of the closet, I don't know, blew the doors out the closet somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Walked into the rehearsal room, plugged into the lead guitarist's amplifier, and set loose a string of notes that rendered him the rhythm guitar player. Mm-hmm. And then I also <laughs> became the singer for the band. Really? And embraced a kind of death witch persona with the black corpse paint makeup and the terrifying visage and the branches coming out of my hair and someday I may readopt Freya <laughs> yeah. as an alter ego. <laughs> I have an album in mind called the Freya Tapes. <laughs> but for now, but that was that was an alter ego. For now you're doing this is this is the true you. This is Mrs. Smith. Well, yeah. who is ever really themselves? Mm-hmm. Who is anyone? And this comes up a lot, I have to say, online, on Instagram, on YouTube especially. People say, oh, this this lady is a gimmick, or it's um, Joe Satriani in some kind of getup. I get that a lot. Or that's Steve Vai in some kind of elaborate costume, mm-hmm. which is, first of all, he towers over me, <laughs> six foot five. I'm five eight. You can see I'm just a little lady. I'm just, and also, hello, this is real life. I'm a real life person. Mm-hmm. This is happening on the internet, which is real life as we know. And so the idea, but I am fascinated with this idea that someday I might readopt. 
But yes, I, I'm just I'm just a woman now. And when Carlisle went missing, again, something within me snapped. I'm always making art when I snap. I don't mm-hmm. know if anyone else can relate to that. Yeah. And I just needed an outlet. Mm-hmm. a channel for the grief and the rage. <laughs> and so I had sworn off the guitar because I felt like it was like picking up, you know, a loaded Uzi and I didn't know where it would go off. And I thought, well, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a try. And so I, I picked it up and I just found myself shredding on, on the sidewalk one day. The last one I wrote is, is it home again? It is. Yep. Yeah.
Wow. Oh, that was great. So that was the uh, the latest song that you've been working on. That's the last the last song I wrote. The last full song. song. Great. And uh, so so let's talk about uh, some influences. You've mentioned uh, Steve Vai, Frank Zappa. Uh, anyone else? Anyone else that looms large and kind of in uh, Stephen Sondheim, cool. Burt Bacharach. Yeah. Burt Bacharach is his like rocking cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Birdie, um, they called him. They called him Birdie. <laughs> uh, my question, uh, listening to that, I'm wondering, uh, when you're composing a song like this, is there improvisation? Are you just working off of technique um, that you have, like your the sweet picking and things like that? Yes. Or, yeah. Well, that song. So, uh, I mean, so we get the. So I had those around for a while, those riff, that lick. Uh-huh. Um, every time I got an acoustic guitar, I'd just go. Uh-huh. I just thought it had a cool movement. And then. Right. Yeah, and those and, pair nice, nicely together. And then, but I didn't know what it was. And then I recorded a, acoustically and then started to stack up all these symphonies on top of it. Mm-hmm. And then the outro solo is, um, which I thought would be kind of, you know, breathe, breathe in the air. Right. And I thought I would do a kind of, you know, Dave Gilmore type thing, you know, bluesy, you know. Kind of, and what ended up coming out was more of these like... These kind of more uh, angular, you know, uh-huh. kind straying of away from just like the pentatonic scale. Yes, and and, and I thought, oh great, you know, I wanted a David Gilmore solo, and I was going to sound like Frank Zappa. <laughs> Strange, <laughs> yeah. and then I put the piano going with it at the same time. Uh huh. And are you doing this in a home studio? Yes, in an undisclosed location, again, with a, a kind of geek squad kid in tow, on retainer kind of kid. And um, you just press that solo. Well, this kept happening to me. I would say, okay, I'm just going to record a couple ideas down. Mm-hmm. And I press record, and then something would come out, and I had no idea how I played it. <laughs> I would never be able to repeat it. I mean, there's solos on the album that I can't play verbatim, because I don't know what... I've you- slowed them down. I've tried... I mean... When, and then when it comes to making the music video, you're really in a pickle because you've got to make your fingers look like you're, you're doing, uh-huh. yeah. but people think you're a fraud or yeah. someone in a disguise. Yeah, which is which is clearly not the case. Um, so, uh, so you you're composing largely through uh, logic. Yes, I have to teach myself that logic. Yeah, um, and so you're. Are you programming um, all of the the drums and the stuff yourself? Yes, yes. So are you going? Are you are you going? Uh, are you playing over different parts that you program into Logic, and then going back and then modifying the Logic parts around the guitar parts? That is yes. it kind of like a back and forth. The sort way of? I think of it um, is, 
it's like that movie um, Inception, where you turn a corner, and that is what constructs the city of dreams. So I would build one section. I, it's not as if I sat down and kind of composed the song in a raw format and then map it all out. It's more maddening than that. And what I do is I kind of put down a lick or a riff or a melody, and then work on a bass part or a drum part. And then I kind of dead end, and I don't know where it goes next. But then I'm changing up all the cables, and then sounds are changing, and then people change things. Like the maid comes by. Yeah. She knocks into something. And it's like, well, I didn't want it to be that kind of bass guitar, but now I can't figure out how to change it back. So mm-hmm. just leave it. Right. Now I guess this part is jazz. <laughs> <laughs> These kinds of things happen, yeah. but it, it was very slow. I, I hope to work a little more efficiently next time mm-hmm. because it just took me so long and I would agonize over every little brick, every little MIDI brick. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? And then moving parts around and then, and then I did an Indiegogo and got an engineer to really, you know, hopefully oh. put it to more, you know, sonically. Do you ever fear that it would, it will come off too produced, too overproduced? Um, my fear would be that I don't know what I'm doing, and so I would make kind of novice errors. Novice errors around merging sounds, or I know it can get, when you have a producer-producer um, really working with a band, you know, they'll be very, very disciplined about you know the kick drum and that bass part and the piano doing this at that exact moment, and they'll really work through in detail. And I was not going over things. I was going over things as carefully as I could, mm-hmm. but I just, my worry was more like, oh, does this guitar sound not good? Sometimes the guitar is the amp and it's going through a direct box and into a ma- um, amp simulator. Sometimes it's just the logic amp mm-hmm. because I plugged in and got inspired and then l- left the demo guitar. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's such a, Mesh, but what what I find hilarious is that on online and things like that, people say, "Oh, the tone is amazing," and the tone is coming from all kinds of different guitars and things like that. Yeah. What we move to next is the best song, and you had mentioned. The, I believe it's the Bob Ross technique because it has an earworm in it. Is what people describe it. It's a melody that gets embedded in people's mind with an intonation. Bob Ross. Bob Ross. I'm rotten. People say, I'm waking up. I'm waiting. This is Stop. Oh, God. I woke up in the morning. I can't get out of my head. It's like, well, buy the EP. Stop right. watching it on YouTube for free. <laughs> the point is that you buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm proud of the fact that there's a catchy melody, and I, I'm very much like the guitar playing, and I like the um, just the excitement of the song and the riffs. Where these old trees are. There we go. All right. Gentle, gentle, gentle. 
God damn, that was fucking incredible. Yeah, that was great. That was so fast. And we were talking about tone right before uh, that song. And I want to talk about your setup. And can we go through your rig a little bit? Yes. I have a what's called a mezza barba here. This is an Italian amplifier handmade in Italy by master amp maker Pierangelo Mezzabarba. And um, I've seen where these are made. They are, in fact, all made by hand. And they are very high-quality parts. And I, I call Pierangelo the king of rock tone. And I think it has um, the kind of saturation that a player like I needs, but it doesn't get shrill and it doesn't, um, it's hard to describe. The tone still comes through. So mm-hmm. I, I really like these amps a lot. Yeah, even at a low volume like you're playing through now, like you can still get, it still sounds great. And you're still getting a really good breakup on that. So, and you have a custom cabinet with um, yes, is this that is the, Carlisle the on? custom Carlisle cab. Yep, it's a one by twelve. That they, it's not, it's not for production. It's just a, they custom made it for me. Very That's sweet. Amazing. <laughs> and then is that Carlisle? You have what kind of Ibanez is this? This is an RG Prestige transparent white. And they put this custom sticker on it, Ibanez, and they. Um, I had this design, so it's got Carlisle's on the guitar, and then these are Demarzio pickups, mm-hmm. and it's a, this is a production model guitar, but it looks slightly different when you buy it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's good. It's it's made of ash. It's rather heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other times I play um, an, a gem guitar, which has flowers on it. And are you are you switching between the pickup um, always, switches the whole time? Always, always, yes, because you get very different sounds, you know. 
take this down. That's the bridge, bridge. pickup, and then. At this point, is it just intuitive what you're doing? Totally. I mean, yeah. Yep. I almost never use the middle ones, and maybe when it's clean, I'll use the middle ones to clean it up. They do split. I don't know. They 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 did a really good job with yeah. these. So it's I like the sound. I like the sound of it, and I like the the feeling of it. The flower guitar was quite old, and so it's in Italy right now. It's being refurbished, and mm. neon lights are being put in it, and it's being sent back to me to these luthier fanatics and. Um, Italy. How did you get hooked up with people in Italy? Well, I was in a Gucci commercial, and that was a bizarre experience. I was scouted on the sidewalk playing guitar by Petra Collins. And then the they recorded a cover of a, uh, what's the name of the song? A Billy Idol song, Eyes Without a Face. And the pop band who recorded it in Italy was using Mezzabarba. And then my contact reached out to Mezzabarba and said, this is artist, Mrs. Smith. We think you'd be a good pair. And they had already heard, and of course, that I was in a Gucci commercial, Italian. They mm -hmm. were very impressed. And they really have embraced me and my Carlisle mission. They brought me to NAMM, oh, yeah. where I performed for all of the beer geeks. What year, what year were you at NAMM? Last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was the talk of NAMM, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, I turned up with a, a Steve Vai guitar painted like an Eddie Van Halen guitar, and I didn't realize it was going to cause such a stir. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Maybe, there, I knew. There, were there, Maybe I knew. <laughs> were there people upset about the fact that you were using that that uh, that design on a guitar, the Van Halen? Well, when I told Mike, the artist rep from Ibanez, said, wait, do you see the gem guitar that I have? You're going to love it. And then when I stopped by the booth, he said, I do. I love it. I love it. But I cannot be photographed with us. Please put hold that down. Don't they? <laughs> <laughs> wow. It, it, I didn't realize what a master troll it was going to be to turn up at a gear festival with a one-of-a-kind piece of gear that, that would get all of the attention and not be for sale. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, the look on the face of a dude wearing a 5150 shirt when he spotted that guitar, <laughs> it was like Christmas. And then they would see the handle on it and they, their minds would be blown. <laughs> and I would hand it to them and let them play it. What is the it. handle for? I've always wondered that. Just to make it different? Well, I like it because it's like a purse. And so I just, that's why I like it. But of course, I found that guitar in the closet in Norway, and I don't know why it was there. Oh, so yeah. I had no predetermined attachment to that guitar. Uh -huh. And then I came out when I started playing it on the sidewalk because, said, oh my gosh, Steve I guitar, that's a classic guitar. And I do think it is really one of the most beautiful guitars ever mm -hmm. made, aside from maybe just a classic, beautiful Strat. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then people thought, oh, those are her, the curtains in her sitting room on the guitar, the, the old ladies playing a flower guitar. So it worked. But mm -hmm. then, you know, Ibanez, they really wanted to, you know, for me to establish my own identity, mm -hmm. you know, and so now I play this kitty guitar. <laughs> well, it's beautiful and it sounds, it sounds great. And um, it, you got to meet Steve I, didn't you? Oh, I met him at a festival. Yes, at a, a Guitar Gods festival that I had been in. Um, invited to perform at, and I was no one knew who I was at all. I think they thought I was some kind of outrageous prank, mm -hmm. and I was terrified because mm -hmm. I thought they would crush me or, or harm me. <laughs> and the metalheads, and he was backstage. And he was very kind, very gracious, very complimentary. 
That's great. I had applied with a, a my version of a song by Joe Satriani, and I didn't know this, but they grew up together. Mm. And he said, oh, I sent your video to Joe Satriani. He loved it. And I thought, <laughs> wow, okay. Well, and at the time I had not uh, even stepped out onto the sidewalk to play, and I, it emboldened me. And now maybe he regrets encouraging me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And when did you pick up the tapping technique? Uh, is that just... Was oh, that... I, well, I invented it syn- synchronistically, of course. A lot of my guitar discoveries, a lot of the songs that I write, I'll write them, you know, and then realize like someone's written a song that is almost exactly the same. And then that becomes a copyright problem. Mm-hmm. And they say, we'll just call it a cover song. And I said, but I wrote it. Um, and so the tapping technique, I did invent that for oh. myself and then realized someone else had invented I mean, it. Oh, okay. Which is that Eddie Van Halen had invented it based <laughs> on something he saw Jimmy Page do. I, I see. Uh. But I like it because it just makes it easier to go faster. Yeah. Well, you were hooking <laughs> on that one. And is it presumptuous to think that... Uh, um, you you watch a lot of Bob Ross. Is that uh, the inspiration for this this last song? Yes, I I also the failure of mental health treatment in the United States, especially, but around around the world. Um, I think I draw so much benefit from my psychological team, and I've got um, a couple therapists and a couple of analysts. I have an amazing psychiatrist who's an MD. I have an incredible psychotherapist who's a PhD, and then of course a terrific aromatherapist who has an MFA in sculpture. And I have daily calls with all of them, daily. And what I realized was, you know, I was also watching Bob Ross to cope with my anxiety. Uh And before a show, if I really had to play really hard, I would draw his image into my mind to relax my muscles. Because if you tense up, you can't play. Mm -hmm. And then I realized so many of my fans are suffering out there. But they don't have health insurance. They don't, you know. And so I thought, how can I, they could watch, they could use the Bob Ross technique too. Mm -hmm. And that was the intent of the song, but nobody understands the intent of the song. (laughs) Well, now it's explained. Without it being explained. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Uh, I I think we're going to move on to the uh, the worst song that you've ever written. Mm -hmm. Um, If you'd like to set that that one up a little bit for us. Well... It's the worst song. I mean, I think it's a perfectly fine song. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a bad song, but mm-hmm. it's the worst song because of what it's about. And when, the the when, torture and the, the trials and the tribulation that it's about. Which it will be clear to you what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this, this is not my worst song. Wait, what are we saying about it? Are we copying to the technical... <laughs> I swore with the other day I walked by the Google um, headquarters in Chelsea and this girl gave me a mean look and I thought she knows. And I would tried to share this track with your technician over Google Drive and wouldn't you know, it failed. It failed. So I think I'm being tracked or we're all being tracked. We're all being AI'd. Russian bots are to blame. I meant to share a song about my hostage taking called One um, that I love, but but it just was not in the cards. And so instead I'm going to do, now this is the worst song in the sense that it's about a terrible loss, as you will see, which hopefully, you know, there's a happy ending to this, hopefully. Okay, go ahead. This is called Cat Jam.
the worst i have a reason what was the reason the reason is that that is an old version of that song so it's been re-engineered and the new version has like a whole like exciting electronic dance music build up more instruments it's fuller it's bigger sounding that was my old track and the other reason that that's the worst version of that song but why everyone who's listening should go download my ep to hear the real version but the reason that's the worst is that i've been playing that song with my band for like months and it goes it goes like this it goes meow meow Meow. No, my drummer was like, that is such a weird timing. I was like, why aren't people meowing along? Yeah. He's like, it's so weird. Are you adding a beat there? I think so. Yeah. It was like the end of five. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we changed it to was, in the new version, it goes, meow, on the one. Meow. Dum, 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 dum. Meow. Dum, dum, dum. Meow, dum, 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 dum. And on the recording, when I do it, I do it every Friday night at the McKittrick Hotel. Now they're meowing because mm. there's also people going, meow, there's voices. And oh. then I'm going to add just this girl with the sign. Hopefully they finally get it. So that was the worst. That was my, the worst. my worst song. And I played it for years. Well, I'm glad that uh, we had a little bit of technical difficulty because it really adds this. It's like a perfect bookend um, to the podcast to start out with Carlisle and, and to end with Carlisle. Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, of course, everything is about Carlisle. And is there anything that you'd like to plug coming up? What was the EP uh, that you were requesting people to go download? It's called Introducing Mrs. Smith, and it's available at mrssmith.merchnow.com. You can also get it on iTunes and Amazon, but go to Merch Now because it's a better deal for me. And I don't know really even how Amazon got the album. I clicked a bunch of buttons and hit send (laughs) on TuneCore. Now everyone's selling my album and I don't know how much I'm making. So I've got a, I don't know. I don't have a record label, so I'm doing it all myself. And, uh, the, the shredding contest? I'm sorry, what was the name of that again? Shred for Your Life. Shred for Your Life? You've won this prior? Yes, I'm the reigning queen. Then someone okay. said, aren't you going to defend your title? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted with defending things. I'm done defending mm-hmm. myself, defending my other people. You know, sometimes I, I have to call up these friends and I have to go, do you know how much I have to defend you? <laughs> <laughs> All the time. 
And, and, and I'm stopped doing that. And so I'm stopping defending titles and mm-hmm. I'm stopping competitions. Mm. I've done enough competitions. I won. Yeah. So <laughs> now I'm a special guest correspondent. So oh, I'll cool. be off to the side of the stage. A little bit like, you know, when there's an ice skater is at the Olympics and they're like, you know what they're really thinking about right now? They're thinking about the sweat, you know, that's accumulating at the bottom of the skate. You know, like that's what I'll be like. They're really worried about the strings. They're so sweaty or, you know, uh-huh. I'll be the special correspondent. Ah, you're, you're from the inside. Side, you know, yeah. I'm giving the inside through. perspective. Yeah. Well, this is so much fun. Thank you yeah, so thank much you, for coming. Yeah. Thanks for joining time. us. Check out Mrs. Smith. We'll see you next time on first, last, best, worst burger. <laughs> <laughs> Love it.